and we're live. Welcome, everybody. This is the Reality Czars podcast, and we are hosts tonight, Nate and Thomas. Thank hey, guys. You. Yo, yo, Dude, yo, yo. We got fucking donut here, man. Thank you for coming on, brother. Oh, yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me. Hell yeah, brother. So uh, this is your first time on the show. Uh, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and where they can find you? You can find me, I'm Donut, D-O-E-N-U-T, and I cover the occult symbols and strange mysteries of the world. Dude, I've been digging that fucking Knights Templar, that little mini doc you put out. That shit mm-hmm. was dope as fuck. I've been sharing that around. It's it's fucking fantastic. Yeah, the oh, the production you. quality, you're just you're you're kicking it up to the next level, man. You're setting the the bar higher for everyone else to to reach it. Oh, I just copied Robert Seffer, right? Because he'd be walking around, and I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm just going to walk around. <laughs> and that's an old video that I made like a while back, uh, and I was like, I'm just going to walk. It was Friday the 13th, so I wanted to put something out. Thank you. Hell yeah, bro. Hell yeah. I'm working on a new one right now. I already got, got the video done. I just got to go walk around, and I want to walk around an <laughs> arcade because I'm talking about technology and um this is kind of interesting and i would really like to get paranoid americans take on my take on it (laughs) connecting uh secret secrecy occult stuff to technology so uh quasicultal right is the feathered serpent and I know he's popular. He's known as Q. There's even a Masonic order called the Order of the Q. In the Manly P. Hall books, he talks about Quasicoto is the feathered serpent and the serpent is underground. And that's where the occult hidden knowledge is. So with CERN being underground with Koopa Koopa, where the letter Q comes from, from phonetic Q Koopa, he's underground and he's sort of a serpent-looking creature, connecting uh, Bowser, right, with the web browser, connecting this technology of CERN and AI and quantum computers to secret societies and stuff like that. And I'd like to get your take on uh, on that, both of you. Well, dude, you said you said Bowser and Browser, uh, but you're also mentioning CERN. And as soon as you mentioned Super Mario and underground CERN and tunnels, I'm just thinking of like that first underground level in Mario where you just jump right into like the blue underground tunnels and you're just jumping through tunnels. And what's at the end of that level is a freaking time warp where yep. you can warp to anywhere else, right? That That's some, some predictive programming for CERN. I love that sync, man. That's awesome. And Pac-Man, there's some theosophical symbols, I think, in Pac-Man. So the pizza slice being removed and the symbol of Pac-Man is kind of interesting. And it goes into some sexual suggestive symbols. But if you turn it upside down, it looks like the sun in the pyramid that's in the theosophical societies. So is is there a theory here that kind of like... Um, like alchemical text and religious texts that maybe video game designers are baking in occult symbolism and secret knowledge? Or do you think that these are just like archetypes that are kind of echoing through the ages and we've been programmed to just put them into things because it's part of like our vibrational DNA at this point? It's interesting because Elon Musk is testing the Neuralink on monkeys and how he has them test it is playing video games in Pong. 
And I'm thinking about how much the video games played in our psyche with Pac-Man. Pac-Man made over $200 million in quarters, swallowing the quarters. And Pac-Man is the emoji. So this 1982 video game is how we communicate now with emojis. Um, and this, somebody says, oh, the smiley face was created back in the 60s or something like that. And, and I looked it up and I was like, that's when the first video game was also created too. So Dude, it's just, there's a cult symbolism with the smiley face as well and the smiley face killings and things like that. What's that yeah, all about? William Ramsey talks about it. Uh, he knows, yeah, William Ramsey, it, it, he came on my show, I don't know, a long time ago and talked to me a little bit about that. And th there's some occult uh, group, uh, the Order of Nine Angles, which is kind of like a, they're a secret society slash like magical order slash like white supremacist thing. Uh, it's a pretty interesting evil group. And supposedly they use these, yeah, I don't know if you if you want to, I don't know if you're Googling it, you can share your screen if you find something. Oh, sure. Yeah. I just pulled it up. Um, it is interesting. Order of Is this uh, angles or angels? It's the angles? angles, I believe. Order of nine angles. I'm hmm. pretty sure, but I could be wrong. Um, it, yeah. I, I had the book. I should probably go grab it. <laughs> it's a satanic group. Uh, I'll mm -hmm. share my screen share present. that's interesting because because usually white supremacist groups are like hardcore kjv no dude yeah these guys are yeah they're a weird occult group it's fucking bizarre yeah the order of nine angles there we go oh yeah nazi ideology traditional mm -hmm. satanism <laughs> we don't do any of that new age crap we're, we're back into the traditional stuff <laughs> Human sacrifice. Have you talked to William Ramsey yet? I should hook you guys up. You'd have an interesting conversation. That'd be dope. Um, what I've noticed is it doesn't matter if you're whatever supremacist group there is out there. They're all doing occult stuff, occult magic, whether that's any religion uh, or group. You look into them and they're doing some secret, secret stuff. And it, it, is it a good thing that they're doing or is it a bad thing or is it a mix of both? This is a question that uh, my friends ask me and it's kind of hard to, to say. Well, there's, I mean, I think that there's a strong link here somewhere because basically like the fall of Carthage and Phoenicia, that was when everyone did magic out in the open and it was like state religion was magic, right? And the rest of the world, essentially, that, that surrounded uh, these areas of the Phoenicians, like there was a, a quote, the, the Rome was basically like, Carthage must die. Like we have to eradicate Carthage from the face of the earth, leave no trace. And they did a great job because there's almost no trace outside of a few little artifacts and what the Romans wrote about them. But part of that was also driving basically all magic and all um, sympathetic magic specifically underground. And then in addition to that, it became illegal. So now they, they kind of force, like, if you're doing magic, if you're doing drugs, or if you're doing illegal things, like, all three of those are equally bad for a lot, like, hundreds of years. So over that time, you're basically forcing the magicians to, you know, get into cohorts with the criminals because they have to share the same supply lines and resources and strategies to not get killed. So I think that over, you know, thousands of years, you kind of had this merging of what you'd say, like, evil or bad with occultism, cultism, but
but it was more of like a practical like i don't know if occultism means that it has to be evil or has to have some nefarious purpose but they're absolutely intertwined because you know they they put baby in a corner basically and is this connected to justinian because justinian shut down all the neoplatonic schools neo the schools and then 500 years later because that all went underground and 500 years later was the rise of the templars and the templars were in those areas where they could have learned those secrets from underground groups or whatnot. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, we're the, the fall of Carthage, I think we're talking like 200 AD. So it's definitely like that was kind of the, the OG sending everyone underground. And then, you know, Rome takes it over and Rome pushes their sacred spring and their Mithraic um, sort of rituals also underground, like literally underground out of the public eye. And that becomes like a military uh, society, almost like a secret society made just for the soldiers. Uh, but but I mean, like the same exact rituals and everything continue on all the way through. And I, I do think that the Templar learned maybe not from uh, that spread, but they learned from like the original source, wherever Phoenicians got it and they spread it probably from Canaan into Phoenicia, into Carthage. Uh, and then it just kind of like you know, syncretized with all the other different religions and cultures from there out. So Phoenician, right? Is what's the difference between Phoenician and Venetian? Totally, totally different. Uh, so the the Phoenicians is basically the Roman word for the people that came from the area of Canaan, and it, it gets a little bit mangled because you got the Hittites, you've got the um, the Babylonians. It's sort of like the same area, but they're completely different cultures. And as soon as they started taking over the Mediterranean Sea and running, you know, running ships and controlling the ports, they essentially controlled everything from Spain to the Middle East, uh, you know, West and East, and then they also controlled uh, the the north of Africa, Tunisia, which is where Carthage was. And then the, the southern tip of Sicily, which meant that they also had a monopoly over all trade that went from Africa into Italy and then into the rest of Europe. So like them controlling this, that's and essentially it's an interesting is that they call the Phoenicians because the word um, in Greek is like Phoenix. And that represented this illustrious purple dye that they were all known for. Uh, but that's that's kind of like the lineage there. And I think, again, that the Phoenicians die out. They turn into the Carthaginians. And then they go underground for hundreds of years. And then you just kind of see their rumblings through things like the Knights Templar. Yeah. And also you brought up the Hittites, which is where the double-headed eagle comes from. That is on like the uh, morals and dogma. I guess the, yeah. the Byzantine eagle. Yeah. And also the uh, Venetian mask, right? In Venice, Venetian isn't that connected to Phoenician masks at, at all? Is there a connection? Well, the, the Venetians, from what I understand, comes from another group called the Veniti, um, which which this is highly debatable, but they might have actually come from the Slovenian region, and they, they kind of go uncredited. The Phoenicians get so much credit. Where the Phoenicians and the Venetians share so much is that they were both uh, seafaring mercantiles. They both uh, traded in luxuries. Uh, but but they're separated by long stretches of history, essentially. Like the, the Venetians, though, probably would not exist without the Phoenicians before them. Right. In the game Dominoes, 
there's a domino mask, which is like a Venetian mask. And dominoes comes from China. And there was this 32 dominoes for the old game, 32 of them. And this 32 pops up in a lot of different mystical uh, like movements. I never heard that before. That's actually pretty dope about yeah. the dominoes. Yeah, so going like Pac-Man, right, uh, dominoes. Uh, a lot of the vi the games, video games, all have a, an occult meaning. An occult is just hidden, right? So occult isn't like the evil. It's just, you know, this is the secret stuff that, that no one knows. You know, like the 52 cards in a deck for the 52 weeks. Well, th that's actually a, a really interesting topic that Manly P. Hall wrote about in one of his his really older books. I think it was Initiates of the Flame or one that came right after that in the, the 20s. But he makes this mind-blowing point that we've taken things like uh, dice and the roulette table and a deck of cards, which used to be used for profitizing. This was, you know, these were like almost divine items that you would use to communicate between you and your God or you and nature. And that over time, uh, humans or some some aspect of society has perverted these into just being about gambling uh, and about money and about greed, which is like a, a complete direct inversion of what they used to be used for. You know, you go from the divine purpose to uh, betting all your money in Vegas and getting drunk and just living in vice. And I, I always thought that was an amazing dichotomy. Well, the interesting thing about games, Vegas and this number 32 that on the 32 floor in Vegas is when we had that terrible event happen there. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so this number 32 is also 23 as well. Like Dr. Pepper got a 23 on the Dr. Pepper thing. I never knew that until recently. So I'm like, how did I miss that? Um, there's something up with it, with, with that. It's weird. I always reminds me because um, if you think about a lot of mental math or just the things that we do as humans, everything's based on fives and tens because of our hands, right? Our, our fingers, we've got a base, uh, base 10 system. That's why it's so easy to multiply by 10 and divide by 10. You're just like adding zeros. But if we had six fingers, right, then we'd be base 12. And now all of a sudden uh, numbers like 23 and 32 actually coalesce a lot harder into a base 12 system which is kind of how time works you know like our months are divided by 12 and our our uh, you know hours are divided by 60 so like these different sort of organizations i think there's something to that which makes the number 23 it makes the numbers three and six and nine like tesla would say if, if anyone understood the three six and nine uh, i think that there might have something to do with with this being a base 12 system that's it's, you know, just too adjacent to our current reality. But uh, I don't know anyone that can think and, you know, clearly be like, oh, well, this divided by this, everyone knows how to do it in a base 10. But to do it in your head by base 12 and see the world that way, that might be some kind of extra step that ancients had, that you know, above us. Or an extraterrestrial with uh, six fingers, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. John yeah. Kerry was just at Davos talking about extraterrestrials. Was he really? Yeah. What do you guys think? You think you think if we saw them, would you believe it was on a scale from one to ten? All the news stations are like, you know, first alien contact's been reported. Here's the video footage. Everyone agrees. Twitter agrees. 
would you guys be like a five? Would you be a 10? Where would you be at? Uh, because they're admitting it and because the mainstream media is putting it out there, I'd probably be around a one. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have a real hard time believing it I, because I've been waiting for this like project blue beam sort of thing, like them trying to create a big enemy to try to create a one world government because we're going to have to be able to, you know, fight whatever this thing is, you know, I don't know. And they're always talking about too. If you listen to like uh, the Lucius trust and things like that, which is connected to the UN, they're talking about uh, the coming of the cosmic Christ. The, the Lucius so, trust blew my mind. Someone was, yeah. uh, Juan was telling me about it. And I was like, come on, bro. This sounds like more of, you know, it just like the things crazy. that get drummed up, but you look into it and it was really called the Lucifer publishing company. Yep. Like that was the OG name. And they really do have that weird little meditation room. And it really was located at, at like some weird address. And really, <laughs> they do that. Uh, they do that grand invocation and they're trying to bring back their cosmic Christ is what they're calling him. And uh, it's wild. And so to me, like, they could bring an alien and saying, hey, Cosmic Christ is back. And this is like, uh, this is the head of the church. Uh, because they also, they try to get all the different churches of all the different denominations, what whoever's leading those organizations. And they're trying to get them under their kind of wraps, too. And they're all playing ball, dude. So, like, I think most people would probably buy it. Like, the Pope would be on board, 100%. He'd but like, if they yeah. want you to buy it, they'd have to, to they'd have to lie about it and pretend like they weren't telling you. You know, like, there's no aliens. And then Nate's like, I'm out of 10. Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm just suspicious. My nature is very suspicious. And anything they say, like, I try not to do the exact opposite because then they can play you too, you know, where they can. Uh, but I'm still, I got my guard up. And there's a lot of that? similarities to Lucius, Lucas, George Lucas, uh, Luke mm -hmm. Skywalker, Skywalking, Skywalking. Do you know uh, Luke Skywalker's original name was going to be uh, Starkiller? But because of the Manson murders, uh, they didn't want to have a negative connotation with someone literally being a star killer. So they changed it to Skywalker. But that was going to be the original name before then. Wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, that connection there with the Altamont, George Lucas was filming the Altamont when he was young and that's what helped end the hippie movement. So it's what's the of, Altamont? The that's Altamont was when the Rolling Stones put on a free concert and the main singer was dressed up sort of like Lucifer. And that's not really much of a stretch because right after that, he made that film Lucifer rising with all that occult stuff in there. And he was protected by the hell's angels. And there was a fight in the hell's angels and there was somebody died or there was like a bunch of stuff. And it was the decline of the hippie movement, which was all a correlated event that took place because the counterculture hippie movement was all designed by intelligence agencies. Yep. And they stopped it as well. So that was designed as well to end it with the Beatles, John Lennon getting whacked later, but the Beatles ninth studio album is the end of the hippie movement, the white album and nine is a completion number and the white album is what made Charles Manson go on his rampage. But interesting enough, before he went on his rampage, he went to big Sur to, El Esalen or whatever that place is called. 
where it's still up today. And that was like part of the Tavistock Institute of brainwashing and all that. Tavistock gets super deep. Yeah. I was just going to give you my, I've got a weird little hippie connection from the sixties. My, my mom and my dad were fucking giant filthy hippies did tons of acid. And I find out, well, as an adult, my mom was telling me that my dad used to sell acid to Charles Manson, which is pretty fucking interesting. And when he got arrested, they saw him on the television. They're like, Hey, what? Why are they arresting Charlie? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> my dad also used to sell acid to uh, the Beach Boys as well, and was would party and do heroin with whatever that one fucking uh, whatever the one Beach Boy that was like uh, bad news. <laughs> I don't remember which one that was, but they used to party and do heroin together. What do you mean well, bad? I you mean, don't mean Charlie Wilson? It was Maybe. a small town. Like my yeah. dad as well was doing all that same stuff um he wasn't a hippie because he came after that um but uh that california wasn't a big city it was small so people were all kind of rubbing shoulders there because it's like a little small town at that time It, it breaks my heart when i start looking into the intelligence agencies and the 50s and 60s not just the psychedelic movement because i i feel like like that could have been something that that completely changed the world but it got stifled but the other one that's heartbreaking is all of the freaking rock stars where their dads were high-ranking military officials or intelligence officers i mean uh crosby stills and nash i think i can't remember which one of them i think it might have been crosby um his dad was in the cia there's rumors that frank zappa uh was in the cia or adjacent jim morrison there's just like this long ass list and it's I don't know. It's if you think about all these huge what you would call counterculture icons, but being so adjacent to intelligence agencies, you just call them culture icons. Like they were just put into place to kind of play those roles, and they played the roles. Yeah, and that's what I listened to as a kid was Frank Zappa, The Doors, and it's interesting because I always like, oh, I'm the counterculture, and get into the punk movement and into the juggalo stuff, and like now I'm like, yo, man, I'm being socially conditioned. You think juggalos are uh, ICP is CIA? So I'm doing a deep dive because I'm like juggalo of the year consecutively 34 years. You know what I mean? And they haven't even been around for 34 years, like because that was my thing. Me and my my mom, we'd go to all the shows. And really, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, I'm like a little ten year old, and I knew all the words. And um, so I'm not trying to diss them. And I always thought that they weren't um, because Obama labeled them and the followers. Yeah. As so, I was like, oh no. But then the more I look into it, like the very similar to the grateful dead my parents my not my parents my mom was a deadhead and the hatchet man looks very similar to the grateful dead bear and there's just a lot of weird things i've been connecting (laughs) uh and it's not like a diss at all i still listen to them and uh you know so but i i have been doing a deep dive into the occult because they get deep into some occult stuff that's quite interesting like they're yeah i gotta make a video on it i just don't. grateful dead and grateful dead that's a direct um one degree connection to mk ultra right there yeah yeah with the lsd yeah menlo park i think he he was uh he worked he was at menlo park and he did it with ken casey who also went on to write um one flew over the cuckoo's bird or one flew Dude, over the cuckoo's nest they would also go to the bohemian grove too right like uh 
they were um, what else did they call themselves? The Grateful Dead. Uh, didn't they? Weren't they the Warlocks? Right? Wasn't that another name for them that they went by? The Warlocks? Or I was never a Deadhead. I I always yeah. liked the the cover art, and I'd always beg my dad to put it on because it had this badass like skeleton. And then it's like folk music, so I'd be like, "What is this crap?" <laughs> Dude, there's a straight connection. Uh, I'm going to look this shit up. Yeah, please. Uh, That's fascinating. The Bohe Bohemian Grove thing is... is I've never heard that they played at Bohemian. I, I have dude, heard... I think they were like that... members, dude. I think they just show up. I don't even think they were playing music. They were there to like fuck dudes and do weird shit too. And like his sacrifice of the owl. Well, so so there's there's like many levels of membership at Bohemian. Like you can become a member, but then it all has to do with like what camp you're in. Once you become a member, like where you actually lay in your head at night. And from what I understand, and I'm not a member because I because I don't have nearly enough influence or money. Uh, but musicians and artists, ironically, was the original inspiration for Bohemian Grove because they they were all like the rich people kept hiring all these artists and musicians. And they were getting fed up of just doing commercials and billboards and, you know, like commercial art all the time. So they decide, let's just go out into the woods and just do stuff for us. Let's make cool art and cool music. And then they start running out of money. So they start hitting up old Mr. Moneybags like, hey, remember that cool commercial I made? Well, we're doing this thing out in the woods. And if you tag along and throw us some extra money, you know, you can come to this really cool concert. And then over the course of like 50 years, the rich guys came in and just like bought all the land and kicked all of the artists and musicians out to where in sort of like modern times, now the musicians and artists are just kind of like hired contractors like Dance for Me Monkey, uh, while the actual Bohemian Grove members are, you know, CEOs and politicians and uh, not the original ones that created it. It was just like, I like what you guys have made here. It's ours now. Yes. Okay, so I got it here. Bob Weir. Who was there? Uh, was he the guitar player? Yeah, so Bob Weir, uh, backslide, backslid hippie. At least that's what a handful of the West Sonoma uh, progressives are saying. Let's see here. Uh, blah, 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 blah. He was 30 years of their guitarist. He is a bona fide member of the Bohemian Grove. Um, and there was some other bullshit. Yeah, anyways, I had somebody that... Donut, are you sharing that one? Oh, no, I'm just like looking up stuff. Uh, oh, there yeah, there was another artist who bought Bohemian Grove. The author, I don't know why I forgot his name, but he That's bought a it. Serious mustache. <laughs> that is a serious mustache. That's when your mustache is bigger than your beard. Bob Weir. I want to look at his Wikipedia. It's interesting because all of these secret societies, they put it all over wikipedia so it's not really secret what's yeah. up with that because it's it's that hidden in plain sight thing so if anyone brings it up yeah there we go rename the band uh the warlocks yeah and then turn into the grateful dead uh so i what i think it is it's like uh we can see it and we think it's fucking weird and we can make connections to it and we'll bring it up but a normie like if we point it out they're like well it's right there on their wikipedia and that's not so fucking weird. Like, I'll try to bring something up to like this to my sister, and she'll like treat me like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't all the other stuff you did. It was just the thing that you brought up. <laughs> well, yeah. and I always, I always like pointing out too that doing it out in the open again it frees you of the karmic debt that usually mm -hmm. would be associated with doing things in secret. 
then they can tell you we told you like a lot of this shit man they'll they'll put it out in the news they'll even talk about some of this kind of shit uh but they they put it like on page 12 and so you'll never fucking see it read it and then they can when they get called on kind of shit like not this particular but it, when they get called on something they can be like no we reported on it and we can we can link back to an article that we didn't promote much and we put it like on the 12th you know whatever so yeah. yeah i think it is a karmic debt thing maybe too and they're like well if you're if you're too stupid if you're too lazy to look up i mean we told you what we're gonna do so yeah it's like that's why i look at the symbols like because symbolism is a language so just showing a symbol is like they're telling you what to do and just because people haven't learned how to read symbolism it doesn't bragging mean they, they tell them it's like saying kobe when you throw that that piece of paper <laughs> just asking bohemian yeah <laughs> that's what they all say when they throw the effigy into the fire right <laughs> kobe Mola. Uh, i wonder what kobe <laughs> <Mola>. means <laughs> have you ever looked up what kobe means God's well, I, you'd have to go with the Hebrew uh, version, right? Um, well, in Hebrew, yeah, I'm looking it up because the Hebrew version of Elon is oak tree. Which so I think Co is interesting. Kobe means Jacob. Okay. Because the Hebrew meaning rooted in the words Jacob, meaning Yahweh or Jacob and supplanter. So the supplanter of Yahweh. That's interesting. So when Kobe died, both of his jerseys were hanging up at the Grammys. And if you add the numbers up, it equals 32 as well. Oh, you guys got my brave browser up. Yeah, I was just trying to figure out how to find that. But this is interesting right here. John Kerry says, and I didn't answer your question on the alien thing. He was saying. Yeah, no, yeah I'm curious. Like, like if he comes out, how much do you believe him? <laughs> so he was saying that he's Dude, the John reptilian. Kerry does not look good. Yeah, well, he's part honestly. of Skull and Bones. He looks like shit. Yeah, so he's saying I remember that his name. It was like Long John or Slim John or, or something. You know how, because like when you joined the um, Skull and Bones, you get a nickname for whoever you are in that particular class. Yeah. And so the Skull and Bones stuff I find interesting because this is their year. Uh, Yale will be celebrating its 322 year in October. I wonder and if they're going to have like an extra you can play special the video. Uh, ritual. You can hear it. What's up? Yeah. Have you ever heard of the obscene? I didn't hear right? what he said. Um, What's up? The obscene right? The obscene right? The, it's, I, I've never found any legitimate research, but I've seen it quoted in so many different conspiracy theories, but that the Skull and Bones apparently has something called the obscene right, where they either eat a adrenal gland or I think they eat a pineal gland. That's the that's the rumored version of it. Uh, I want it on my my scale of one to ten, I'd probably rate it around like a two uh, in terms of credibility. But I, I want to know more, and I want I want to believe it more than that. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> the pineal gland has photoreceptors in it, and if you look at Scrabble, the game, it has 
R-A in it, like raw, Scrabble, but the R-A also has the R that goes down. So it looks like Horus as well. And the sign of Horus, which is that I, if you look at a brain in the middle, it looks just like that. And it's connected to the pineal gland, I believe. If someone served you pineal gland and they were like, this is a delicacy and it's not from a human, it, you know, let's say it's like a, from a cow or something. Would you, well, would you like, try it? I'm like wondering like, yo, is that what melatonin is? Like what the heck is melatonin? Like they're like, yo, here's melatonin. I'm like, yo, that's something that just gets produced in our brain. Like where are you getting the melatonin from? Like, I don't understand that. Are they getting it from uh, animals? Like, they're sleep. Like, and anytime you take melatonin, you'll have crazy dreams. And honestly, since you brought up melatonin, it's funny because I've been taking it for a long time and I've gone through a lot of different, like, dosages and strategies. The, the less you do is the better. Like, they sell these huge freaking, like, horse chonkers. They're, like, you know, like, 20 mg and, like, 40 mg. I think you're supposed to take like two milligrams or something or like four milligrams and not go crazy. Um, and it actually works better that way, but you're also supposed to take it and then fall asleep within like 20 minutes. So if you're taking it early, it like doesn't do anything. If you stayed up longer than that, it just kind of throws you off a little bit, uh, oh, but it's, okay. yeah. but, but, but it's also it? a, what is it like is melatonin? It <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, it's produced as a byproduct of other synthesis in the body. Um, just like, like adrenaline turns into melanin uh, over time. And that's also why it, it has a, a darker color. Um, and actually people that take adrenal eye drops, they can develop something called black cornea because the adrenaline um, breaks down and turns into melanin and forms like little black spots in your eye and stuff. Whoa. Um, so it's just a chemical compound. Mel melatonin well, the, well i'm talking about melanin is the black version melatonin is the, the stuff that helps you sleep they're yeah. both synthesized uh by the body as a, a result of breaking things down they just they go through completely different pathways so i wouldn't be surprised if they like synthetically make the compound but also people don't fucking realize I, i'm a chef by trade and uh when i was in culinary school we took this food ethics class um the amount of fucking byproducts that get used will blow you the fuck away. Like animal byproducts and the weird shit in it. And like my whole like thesis for, cause we had to come up with a thing. I was like, it's literally impossible to be a vegan in, in this industrial society because it's in absolutely everything. There's animal byproducts in all kinds of like cosmetics, medicine, everything. Yeah. So, like, no, it could be like gummy bears are full of pig. Yeah. Horse hooves. Gelatin used to be made out of horse hooves, right? Or, uh, uh, yeah, just straight up gelatin. You get in jello. Straight up women take, like my mom used to joke around and call them her horse piss pills, but they're horse piss pills. <laughs> what? What yeah. is this? That's for like when ladies, uh, there's a <laughs> lot of, uh, there's a lot of estrogen and like female horses and like it comes out in the pee. And so they extract it and that's where they get the estrogen from. And so when ladies like hit menopause and they're like getting all the heat flashes and all the crazy shit and the mood swings, they take these horse piss pills and uh, it evens them out. You, you still think it comes from straight horse piss or was that just like the, the original formula? I don't know. I'm like, I'm like the original coach. Sure. <laughs> I mean, but this was the last time I looked it up. 
I'm pretty sure it's still horse piss. <laughs> I was a little disappointed because I because I uh, came across a bunch of the early research where they would source adrenaline came from usually like sheep and cattle. Uh, and, and there was a crazy, you were talking about uh, melatonin and pineal glands. There's like a 1973, I think, government research where they went to Antarctica and kidnapped a bunch of penguins and conked them over the head and sent all the pineal glands to like New Jersey or something and did research. And they were, they were testing to see how much melatonin um, penguins would generate through the pineal gland, the ones that were there while it was like daylight all the time versus the ones where it was nighttime. Um, all the time and would like extract all of that. But, but um, the amount that I used to think came from the animals still, it just, it's so creepy and it was such an interesting concept, but I've talked to a chemist that actually synthesizes a lot of uh, drugs now. And they were mentioning like, yeah, they, they kind of like start with precursors now and it's all synthesized, but I don't know how much I believe that. Cause of course they'd say that. Well, well I think if you're a rich person, maybe you still get the good stuff. You know, <laughs> it's only the organic. <laughs> yeah. Well, also like Red Bull, the taurine I heard is bull semen. I've heard that too. I've definitely I don't know heard if it's that true or not, but I think the original dude, and I'm pretty sure you can still find it sometimes if you go into those little skeevy, like real weird little uh, Asian markets. You can find the little tiny vials of like Red Bull. I think you are like sucking a, a, a fucking cow's dick, basically. <laughs> I mean, I'd be down to snort some dried up bull semen just Dude, to see what it's it not dry. It's like overly sweet and it's really thick. It's like, <laughs> it's like, anyways, I didn't know it was bull semen, but I used to drink that shit because it was like, it <laughs> wake you the fuck up. Wait, are we, t- are we talking about old school <laughs> Red Bull or are we talking about legit bull semen right now? Old school Red Bull okay, okay. have legit bull semen, I think, in it. And I think the Asian stuff still does. So with Red Bull, what's the symbolism of that? Because that drink has a ton of symbols. Is there any occult symbols in there that I'm not aware of? Yes, it gives you wings. Like, Well, I mean, yeah, only I the know. most OG symbolism of all, which is sacred bull worship. I mean, that's, that is the original two-horned cloven-footed uh you know pagan you worship the god i blowing him and then you get this crazy like adrenaline rush like <laughs> through the touring there i think it was less fun than that actually the the original mm-hmm. one was way less fun it was like hey thank you for uh you know blessing us with these three children you get you know 10 percent of the big guy upstairs you know right there's no mr hand back then that uh no, that you was know. that was around when the Mormons came out, and then the hand just comes through the little veil and, and finishes you off. So, like, I'm all into the, the symbols. Like, Starbucks is a symbol, right? Like, Ishtar or or one of the various, you know, Astarte. Yeah. So, like, when I look at this, I, I... look up uh, the Asian Red Bull. Just see what pops up. Okay. I swear to God, and see if it. It's not. It, it's not uh yeah let's see what pops up oh weird see the one on the far right there in the glass bottle that's the one that i used to drink yeah the original in in thailand interesting yeah yeah, yeah. they look like those little vial things right up there in the middle yeah these little things they're tiny and like sick sickeningly sweet and maybe full of cum. 
<laughs> yeah, like the monster energy drink is a vav vav you know, 666. It's just I'm always trying to find new information to to cover. I feel like Do you remember monster- Sobe, the drink Sobe? Right, yeah. And Sobe was so the, the the name of an Egyptian god of the underworld, I believe, as well. I thought it was Sobe, but it's Sobe. Interesting. And, and not only was was it like a reptilian underworld god, but then they used the lizard for their their uh, mascot. Yep, there he is. So back. That's right. Shit, look at that. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, that's wild. I I can't remember who put me on that. I think it was a Michael Sarion video. If dude, if you like Oh, like OG symbolism in the media. Sarian is my is my hero. He's my okay. biggest hero. <laughs> so so I think one of my my original main black pills that made me just say like I want to I want to devote like an unhealthy amount of time and and research into these topics is it was called the occult symbolism in pop culture and media and it was at like a uh, conspiracy con in two thousand and three and he's got a really awesome presentation you can find on YouTube that I think is like forty to like an hour long. Uh, and he he goes into all these drinks. He goes into um, different car companies, Saturn, um, Mazda. Mazda is the name of uh, an ancient deity as well. And that how all these huge corporations uh, base their you know their symbolism after these old ancient gods. And it's either because here's where the jury's out, right? This is where everyone gets to have an opinion. But it's either because they themselves are worshiping these ancient gods, or they realize that just like you know we've bred dogs over thousands of years and now we've got these things that can't um protect themselves in the wild right like they're completely domesticated they can't survive without without humans around well humans might have also been kind of domesticated and bred to follow the command of these symbols so just by tapping into these symbols you get all the power that's been instilled in us through thousands of years so by putting Sobe or Sobek on the cover and this little lizard, it's actually tapping into some weird reptilian brain of yours that's like, you better drink this or Sobek's going to rip your ass to hell. That's wild. Yeah, I know what presentation you're talking about because he's my biggest, like, I'm like the biggest fan of Tessarian. Like a lot of that Knights Templar video that you like for me is because I listen to all of his videos all the time. That's a deep one. I actually bought the uh, the Origin and Oracles like eight DVD set like the the week it came out back in the early two thousands. Yeah, he's got the Unslaved podcast, which is fantastic. Donut and Thomas, what do you think the point? Like, what do they get from like? The, let's say I'm the CEO of Sobe, Sobe. What what do I get out of like? making my deity into a drink and putting it out there to the masses is it like a weird ritual every time somebody cracks one of those opens and drinks it is it like i think it's money (laughs) just money yeah i think so yeah i mean i i I look at money as a concentrated form of human energy right just like gasoline is concentrated sunlight energy well fiat currency is it's a currency, just like Jordan Maxwell would say, right? It is our energy bundled up and stored in this little piece of paper. So if I go and give someone that paper and then drink this thing, the drink isn't what's giving them power. What's giving them power is me exchanging my literal energy to the 7-Eleven and then 7-Eleven giving that energy up to the distributor and all the way up to the CEO. But they're literally harvesting your energy. There's no Buddy. other 
way to you're, interpret you're that. You're talking about what we're talking about with Isaac later. Uh oh. There's yeah, the Coca Cola. Coca-Cola grave. <laughs> He's got the <laughs> Mason stuff. He was like part of the Confederate Army too. But uh, KFC grave got the Mason stuff there too. It's interesting how um, powerful uh, secret societies be. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is where this was the original spot that if you moved into a new town, you probably weren't going to get a job unless you joined the Masons or you weren't going to get sort of like what you would consider now as a union job uh, without joining them because it was their way of vetting you into the community for the longest time. Um, and it, it kind of operated under this guise of a social club, but it really was more than that to the point where if two people were up for a job and you know some of the people on the hiring committee were Masons and you had one Mason going for the job and one that wasn't, they took it so seriously that even if the Mason was way underqualified, they'd still get the job over the non-Mason, uh, so even to the how, point like the Civil War, right? How how much do you think of that still goes on? I think it just happens in boardrooms now. Yeah. So what's going on with, like, the football player that, like, collapsed and the one guy that was standing up? when everyone was kneeling and he had the 33 on, do you think that's symbolism? And if it is, what's that connected to? Is it connected? If it is symbolism, sports is all symbolism to me and it's all a ritual and it's all fake. So I think absolutely that definitely could be dude. That's really fascinating. Yeah. I was listening to somebody talking about that the other day. Yeah. That it was a, yeah, it was a 32. And then what, what's his last name? What's the guy's name? Neil? Yeah, his name is Neil. And everyone was kneeling except for him. Yeah, there was some sort of, yeah, somebody was making the case the other day. And I can't remember who this was. I'd give him credit, but it's it's fascinating. Like, is it it like a Masonic thing? Or is it other societies use this? Like the OTO, right? That's not considered Masonic, right? But they're all oddly connected, though, right? Like someone was telling me that the OTO was wasn't it? Uh, it was part of the the Rosicrucian order too, though, right? The OTO was made out of the Rosicrucians, right? But the Rosicrucians and- didn't allow females, and they wanted a version that would allow you know men and women to both kind of practice the same. So then you get OTO, and you get a Golden Order of the Hermetic Dawn. Um, or the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Um, though, and it's honestly, Masonry is a good place to start with that because it's not like Masonry had been this big, homogenous, universally accepted thing, right? There was like lodges between towns and they didn't agree with each other. And then depending on which laws you wanted to abide by, you might recognize a different Grand Lodge than the lodge that was in the next town over. And that just turned into an absolute, you know, a horrible situation for masonry in Europe. And they actually had like this huge coming together call. I think it was called the Council of Wilhelm or the, the Wilhelm Council. And they were basically like, look, guys, we need to get our stuff together. Otherwise, we're just all going to break up and turn into like a million different versions of, you know, this and that, which is kind of where Rosicrucian and OTO and all these different ancillaries came from. But it's just a long story of people that want to control that power of being the lodge or being like the lodge master. And then when people would have disagreements, it's like, well, screw you. I'll go 
form my own secret club and we'll have our own secret handshakes and and we'll have 60 degrees instead of 30 you idiots you know and and that's kind of the same exact story that plays out it just it takes on a much more magical tone because freemasonry was a little a little bit of social a little bit of business a little bit of everything right it was like the generic version but if you were like hard in the paint on mysticism and, and gamatria then you might go into like a very more specific like the rosicrucians and then someone goes to the rosicrucians like well i want my girlfriend to come along and they're like nah bro she's not allowed like well i'm gonna go and form my own club and we're gonna let chicks in and we're gonna have 99 degrees and it just happens over and over and over <laughs> so with um the Memphis Rite, for example, on Wikipedia, it will say they had ninety. De- they have right. ninety degrees, but then Memphis read- Miserium, yeah. And then they have, if you read books, that they had ninety-seven degrees. So I wonder if there's something up to that pop band, ninety-eight degrees. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder it's actually like, a reference to Memphis Miserium, so. right? Yeah. yeah, I wonder if there's a connection there. It, it's funny you you mentioned uh, before we started uh, Albert Pike and his morals and dogma, and when he came to the states, that's exactly what he was running into. Is that people were using Freemasonry as like a they would literally go door to door and try to sell memberships into being in the Scottish Rite. You know, knock knock knock. Hey, you know, is your husband home? And then they just give them the pitch, and the husband would be like, Hey, you know, another guy was just by yesterday, and he had. 30 degrees how many do you guys have like, oh we, we got we got 40 you know and it actually turned into this like bidding war where there would be these weird masonic quasi masonic groups that would sprout up and say well we've got 41 and then the other guy would be like well, we've got 45 you know and it turned into like whoever can offer the most degrees seemed like they were giving you the better deal so you would join that one and albert pike kind of came in and was like guys this is nonsense you're gonna you're, you're gonna ruin this for everybody and we can't just be salesmen um, and I don't think Albert Pike stated the the you're not allowed to solicit for money anymore, but that was used to be a part of it. And then it turned into you had to ask to, to join and then you get to join for free and then you have to pay dues and everything. But without Pike, it really would be like we'd have 99 degrees and 100 degrees and 200 degrees just because of American capitalism. So with shows like Squid Games, how they showed the royal arc uh masonry symbols of the triangle the circle and the square what does that mean you got me dude. i know it sounds like weasel but i i thought that was interesting as hell it looked like it's was so someone weird. baking it in was it thomas isn't allowed to yeah, tell <laughs> yeah well i'm just i just try to decode symbols let and, me know if you see like a shadow figure pop in the door in the back here man a lot of the a lot of symbolism like it is in Freemasonry, but it's not just Freemasonry. It's symbolism. It's a language, right? Well, I think it's like cymatics a little bit. Like if you took cymatics and you lift it off of that stupid little plate with the sand on it and, and just imagine it in, in every dimension, not just in that two-dimensional plane, um, I think maybe it's not groups that are creating symbols, but groups discovering them and repurposing them and then using it to like just gain extra power and extra influence because like you say that like 32 and 33 right just a, a random theory here but let's say that some ancient group that predates the masons realizes hey this numbers there's something special about 32 and 33 it just c- constantly comes up in all these different sort of unique contexts let's just own it let's make that our number and then people will start associating all the cool mysticism and power with the number with our group 
just like you know if you if you sign a new star baseball player or a new pop group puts a new member on all of a sudden they're getting advertised and like oh we've got this new player and come to the games i think there's a little bit of that aspect to it uh, and, and I, i'm pulling that from serion too because serion kind of says similar things where bro, he goes so like hard, they, invented, they don't invent the pyramid but they saw the pyramid and then you know like they reverberate it yeah 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 Cesarian goes so hard. I wish, <laughs> I wish I knew him. I listened to him. I've been listening to him for so many years since 2012. Reach out to him, man. Send him an email. I'm, I, uh, I, if I'm ready to. <laughs> I feel like he's such high level. Um, but yeah, I, I would do that. Did either of you guys ever get to talk to Jordan Maxwell? Yeah, I got to speak to him four times. Oh my god, that that was would have been like a dream come true for me because he literally I was listening to him when I was not even a teenager. Yeah, so that's like Jordan Maxwell was my hero, and then Tessarian became my hero, and then uh, yeah, Jordan Maxwell. I got two podcasts with him. That's on oh, my yeah. YouTube. That's what bad. was your what was your big takeaway from all the different talks you had with them? Was there any like mind blowing thing that he dropped on you that you didn't ha- already hear from his talks? Read a book. <laughs> That's what my like. <laughs> Read a book. That's what he used to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, I from our conversation or just from his videos. Well, I'm I'm curious uh, from your conversations if he dropped something on you that you hadn't heard in his videos. No. So he's pretty thorough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so when yeah. I, I've listened to this video so many times. That's why I really think my, my interviews with him were really well because I already know what he's going to say before he's going to say it. Cause I listened to it so many times that uh, I kept kind of pushing different directions of stuff. He didn't talk about much. That's awesome. Fuck. Yeah, dude. I, I could I couldn't imagine listening to anyone else talk about maritime law after hearing Jordan Maxwell talk about maritime law. It is the the coolest freaking um, sort of concept, man. It, like when he talks about like the original concept of a monster and a birth canal and um, like a like a dock of goods. Like man, I love that stuff. Like I wish I could just go to sleep with that every night. Yeah. So like with Jordan Maxwell, all the stuff that he taught, and I kind of just kept it going so he was like yo the double cross means you're double crossed it goes back to the Templars." so i'm like i'm seeing the double cross with all the artists today little uzi vert and so like i started just doing what he said to like what's going on now was he was he a mason uh i don't know that's actually a good question I would assume no, because I think he, he uh, had some choice words, but it's hard to tell. The, here's, here's an interesting dynamic is that usually um, Jordan Maxwell might not fit in this category because he was kind of thrown into like astro theology, conspiracy theorist. Um, but most of the time, if it's like a popular politician, musician, actor, whatever, Masons are clamoring to take credit. You know, they'll they'll tell someone that, you know, so-and-so was a Mason. They're like, eh, not really. You know, my dad was or something because it just boosts their membership and it gives them more visibility. I mean, it's it's a super dying breed. 
you know it's like all old dudes now and they they shrink in numbers constantly um like it, i mean it fluctuates but the trajectory definitely is not the same as it was in the early 20th century by any stretch you guys got shack kind of <laughs> yeah but he's like old now right <laughs> Is a Shaq like eighty? I, I mean, he's, he's definitely 80. adding to the older demographic. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he looks good as fuck if he's eighty. Shaq yeah, lives he's in not eighty. I'm here. just joking. He's just been around for since I was a kid. He looks. Dude, the same. He used to pop into to work when I worked at Disney, and he has this huge like I want to call it like a stretch pickup truck, but it's like load out, and he's got like these huge. It was just so cool to like see him roll up in this huge Shaq sized truck. So with Disneyland, you got any crazy stuff on that? Uh, well, um, Disney World, because I've never been to Disneyland in California, um, but at, at Disney World, I mean, the craziest ones have already been exposed now, but it was just that people would die in the park all the time and they would they would bring the bodies off park property before they declared them dead so that they could continue saying that like, oh, that we've had no fatalities in the park this year. That really just, happened. Oh, yeah, just but mundane stuff. Like if, you know, you brought grandma to the park and she had a heart attack while you were pushing her around and then you call because Disney has their own police force and their own like everything force. So that like the Disney version of, you know, the emergency ambulance services would come and they would just bring them off of Disney property proper. And then, oh, it looks like grandma might have died. And even though it happened an hour and a half ago under, you know, by the, the small world ride, actually, we're going to mark it here, like right outside this shell station, you know. So technically, grandma died at the shell station, not in Disney World. That was one of the more interesting ones. I, I've heard all kinds of crazy theories and, and things, but I've never got to verify any of like the, the more salacious ones. The map is interesting at Disneyland because there's a bunch of occult symbolism on the map from an aerial view. You got Hyperborea and Polaris. You got a key, the key symbolism as well. I don't know about any of that, man. You could probably blow my mind with a lot of it. Yeah. I was on the, I was at the ground level. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mickey Mouse's birthday is November 18th, which is the day the Illuminati founder died. And the three two two day of the year, November eighteenth. When and Walt Disney was De Molay, uh growing up, uh, he never joined the Freemasons proper, but he was raised by Freemasonic values, and he attributed that to basically all of his success. He used to say that if he hadn't been in De Molay, uh, he probably wouldn't have you know ventured out and and started any kind of business of his own. What's De Molay? So Demo Lay is like a Freemasonic Boy Scouts. So you have to be, I think, 18 or 20 in some places if you want to join the Freemasons. But if you've got a kid uh, and you want them to be a Freemason when they get older, you usually register them into the Demo Lay. But I think that his parents put him in this to kind of just like keep him out of trouble because the guy that actually founded Demo Lay, like the main head of Demo Lay, was Walt Disney's direct mentor. Um, so he wasn't just like some kid that joined a group. It would be like if you joined the Boy Scouts and then the the your scout leader was the dude that invented the Boy Scouts. You know, you have a much different experience than someone that just joins their local chapter. I think the the logo is interesting. It looks like the Adler. Oh, this this is the Boy Scouts of America logo. <laughs> yeah. It's the 
Florida lease and that it looks like the German Adler to me. Yeah, that's interesting. I was in the I I went for like a day to the Weebelows. That was a YMCA thing, wasn't it? I don't remember. Just my friends were my friends were in it. They're like, yo, come to it. I went one day and I just was like, nah. If I'm not wrong, I think the the founders of Boy Scouts, uh, or one of like the the two main guys, was also uh, Freemason. Oh yeah, which, for sure. Which kind of uh, makes Boy sense Scouts, though, because yeah. again, like, what is um, Boy Scouts but a social club for little kids, right? Yeah, there's like different. It's like military sort of, like different ranks that you can join. I was asked not to come back. I tried joining. Uh, Boy Scouts when I was a little kid. I was like eight. I thought you were going to be like, I just tried to join like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> <He gets. laughs> yeah. I was in like Christian Boy Scouts. It's called Royal Rangers or Awana, if you know what Ro- that is. Royal what Rangers? The Royal Rangers, yeah. That's so how how would it differ from Boy Scout? Just more Bible stories? You still Way find more Bible and stories. And we probably got diddled twice as much or something. I don't know. I was husky. For the, for the same me. price? Yeah, <laughs> I was the man. They're just like, I was a stinky kid, so everyone left me alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Vegas, so there was always weird sh- shit, shit going down there. Um kidnappings and all that yeah, close, close to the, the strip vegas or like out in the like hendrix area or uh pretty close to the strip uh like 15 minute drive um but this was back in the 90s when it was a smaller town dude if you like venture like a couple blocks off the strip and you're like out and about around two or three in the morning you see some weird shit yeah, really weird shit, man. Vegas is is interesting. <laughs> it's like, like it's little the artificial city right? on the road and shit, and you're like, "Where the fuck are your parents?" Is there a more artificial city in the United States outside of Vegas? It, it seems like it's the only one that's that's propped up by just technology. Like that that city couldn't exist without electricity, right? That's a good point. Yeah. It's uh all built through mafia stuff. And I think that's why I got so interested into the secret society stuff, because it's technically the same like as a mafia, like the gangster stuff, you know, how you got different gangs. And that's something that I was interested in as a kid. So I'm, I bet you that's why, like, I'm so interested in like skull and bones and learning about that. Have you ever, uh, dude, th- this is a, a rabbit hole and it's going to sound like the most cliche one ever, but the, the freaking JFK assassination is is one of those links that I think you're looking for between the mafia and the secret societies because, uh, bef- and this, you know, the JFK assassination was 63, and but prior to that, before the CIA existed and before even the OSS uh, was around as kind of like the precursor to the CIA, they had the FBN, which was the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. And that was kind of a predecessor to both the FBI and the DEA kind of rolled into one. And the FBN 
Um, they basically like you were either a, like a CIA agent in training or you might have been a mafioso or it didn't really matter because you were just represented access to information that other people couldn't get to. So a lot of the, the early operations, especially uh, in the days of the OSS, they were taking mafiosos and, and using their connections to try and bring down the Germans and get information through that. And and it was interesting, too, because the the gangsters would kind of get a pass like here's your official uncle sam says you can do whatever you need to do because you're fighting for the good guys now so they were kind of allowed to do all of the the normal things that were would be illegal in other time you know in prohibition where they got their eyes and they were like hey we actually need your services right about now so there's like a direct correlation between those early intelligence guys that founded the original cia and the mafia like it, it's you know one hand washes the other oh yeah big time um just like jordan maxwell would say that godfather three uh when you're saying yo we're gonna become legit and that's what he means like we're gonna become legit but i listened to this guy dark journalist i don't know if you ever heard of him he's fantastic fantastic researcher and he does he doesn't think that uh the jfk thing uh, was connected to mafia um, but he goes into it a little bit and it's interesting that Frank Sinatra and JFK were friends and Frank Sinatra was connected to the mafia so JFK wanted like became friends with him but then when he became president he kind of wanted to step away from that because it was a bad look for him and Frank Sinatra was so upset he because he made a whole helicopter pad at his house so JFK could come stay with him <laughs> and sleep over and do a sleepover. And he demolished it with like a sludge hammer in a, a rage, Frank Sinatra, because um, JFK instead went to, I think, Bill Crosby's house and spent the night instead. <laughs> he was fanboying it hard, huh? Yeah, but that's like a real story. That's crazy. There, there's a an interesting JFK theory that uh that he has a syphilitic brain that like you know that like all of his philandering he ended up getting a nasty case of syphilis and that the CIA was intentionally giving him like placebos to just let his brain continue to deteriorate so that they could have more control over him. Um, I, I always thought found that as a fascinating theory. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like what they did to the black folks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Tuskegee. Yeah, the Tuskegee experiments just let them, like, gave them placebo, told them they were helping, and they were just letting their brains rot and studying them. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me a bit, dude. And I've heard that before, too, that, like, there's actual mafia connections and that uh, JFK wouldn't have even become president if it weren't for the mafia, like, messing with the elections. Uh, I don't know if you'd ever heard that before or not, but that's... Well, the that Kennedy is- family, they, they were, like, yeah. the Canadian mafiosos, right? Yeah, dude. I mean, they were, I mean, that's how they became rich and powerful was through prohibition. prohibition. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. The Canadian whiskey, right? The, the old uh, Crown Royal. <laughs> yeah, man. Those crazy Irish Catholics, dude. And they what? somehow, like, see, and that's another thing is like, they, the, the Kennedys were never really accepted in like the Wasp elite. But they kind of forced their way in because they had so much money and they were powerful, and so there's there's that aspect too. That it was I've the Catholic. There, it was a it was a heavy anti-Catholic sentiment when he came Dude, in. There was like all sorts of anti-Catholic, Irish, like yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, he was the first Irish Catholic president ever, and now we got another one. We got Jay Bizzle. 
<laughs> Joe Biden. <laughs> so I found some interesting stuff with Joe Biden's connection to Pluto. Uh, he was the president during the Pluto's return of America. But Pluto symbolically is represented as a Biden, which is a trident, but with two prongs. And mm. Biden, or I mean Biden, controls the underworld of Hades, but it's also shared with two other gods, which is Poseidon and Zeus. And the three major players in the war on Pluto's return is Biden, Poseidon, which would be a trident, and Zeus, which I'm connect to Elon, the sky god, because he's got the Starlink helping out with the war. So I find that interesting. That who do you a, think's Poseidon? The, the the trident. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't want to say the word. You can't say those words. <laughs> you blue. lost me. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I don't know who you're referencing. Ukraine. <laughs> Oh, oh, right, right, right. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You I can say anything you want on this. Like, we're not on YouTube right now, so you can say anything you want. Okay. I just keep it like a. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, they use the trident. Yeah, absolutely. Have you seen Demolition Man? Only oh, like a hundred freaking times, dude. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, okay, so the logo for Demolition movie. Man, the E is the same as Biden's E. Right, the three lines. Yeah. Uh, does that have any meaning? I always thought that represented the three swipes of the seashell. <laughs> okay. What's that? That's the that's the the biggest joke in Demolition Man is that the, he goes into the bathroom and he's like, "Hey, there's no toilet paper in there," and right where the toilet paper would be, there's just these three seashells, and they all start making fun of him because like this guy doesn't know how to use the three seashells. Okay, I got you. I got, I got, I just rented it and watched it and fell asleep. So I got to watch it again. So, so, Demolition Man is, is unironically my number one favorite movie of all time. And I'm not even exaggerating just because you brought it up. It is literally my favorite movie of all time. It is the perfect movie. It's got a lot of predictive programming in it. I'm going to have to rewatch it. Dude, it, it's, it's got, um, the, the original VR sex, um, in it. It's got, the original sort of like the big cars you get into a car crash and the whole thing just fills up with foam so that you don't get hurt and you'll have to like punch your way out of it uh have like the little anti-graffiti devices where they send all the criminals underground and make them eat rats i mean like all that the things that haven't happened yet are definitely coming to the pass for sure yeah <laughs> it's wild i gotta do it i want to do a deep dive on that Dude, I can't wait for your Juggalo videos. Oh, yeah. yeah. So do you know a lot about Juggalos? No, not really. I mean, I grew up with Juggalos. Uh, I had a lot of friends that were Juggalos. Um, I dated a girl that was a Juggalo. And the, the one thing that I had read somewhat recently, I don't know, like within the last five years, did they come out and say this? their entire, their entire movement was actually like um, – about Christianity. Sure. Is so that, is that this generally... is what it was, was the, the six jokers card, the Wraith, the Shangri-La version. Cause there's two different versions: hell's pit and Shangri-La and the dark carnival represents God. The carnival is God. A male juggalos find him. 
we're sorry we're not sorry if we tricked you that's the song fabulous song it's called the unveiling and it's like a 17 minute song i'm sure because 17 plays heavily into that and it's represented as the butterfly i'm telling you i'm the biggest juggalo alive so i know <laughs> this is nuts dude i know the feelings of them because i am one but also i'm not i step away from it too and be like okay now i'm questioning like everything so i i want to put together a presentation because there's fascinating things connecting it but i don't want it to come off as a diss at all because yeah I, I don't want to be a diss, but it there is some interesting connections of them, you know, being signed with Disney. So, and being kicked off of Disney right before the release. And was that intentional? Like, I've as, never heard that before. So, so before they came out, they were going to sign with Disney? They were signed to Disney, the Great Malenko, right? And you're talking about the Great... I, I had the Great Malenko when it came out, so yeah. <laughs> right. So, I mean, even if you look at the Malenko the stars on him there's 17 stars and uh they talk about a bunch of occult stuff but that was part of disney so they make no money off that album so when people buy that album disney's making the money pretty much like taking a huge profit you just blew um, my mind dude. i had no idea that disney owned the rights to icp album that's insane yeah, because they owned Miramax at that time as well. So they were putting out mad horror, violent video stuff. And ICP went on this rant on how Disney's whack, rats, and all this. And then they went on Bill O'Reilly. And this is when I was getting into them because I was like, yeah, F Disney, F Bill O'Reilly, F all that. You and know, they were signed to them while they were insane then? They were signed to them, but they pulled the record off the shelf right when it was released but was okay. that a like a uh, uh, counterculture kind of thing right because i grew up on frank zappa uh the doors i was in the punk movement i was in the juggalo stuff so all this social conditioning uh that i thought i was being rebellious right but it's still a group that i'm going into so from the Tassirian research and uh, the uh, Laurel Canyon research, you know, so it's just interesting. I got to put it all together. Yeah, dude, that's fucking fascinating as shit. Hey, Thomas. I've, I've met them. I've hung out with them. I was on Violent J's tour bus and he's the nicest dude ever. And there's no, nothing at all that points to it being connected at all from me being in there. But then I also like, question my own belief system with try to step away from my own feelings about it too and look into it as uh yeah it's weird try to get him on the show dude that's super <laughs> awesome man I'm, I'm i'm freaking jealous that's the coolest thing I've, I've heard in a while you got to to jam out with uh violent jay on the tour bus yeah, he was the nicest. I mean, I was so scared, and um, that's why I like I'm not. Dissing. He's gonna chop my head off with that hatchet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> swing. Yeah, but his flows. He's a fantastic rapper. Like he's a great artist, just like Frank Zappa and the Doors. Yeah, no, no hate to Frank Zappa at all, man. Uh, and he he calls out the the theory too. I think in one of his songs. He's like, hey, there's a CIA man over there uh, before he starts singing. I don't know if you know which song I'm talking about. Right. 
in ICP, if you were a fan of theirs, you were labeled a gang member by the FBI in Obama. Well, I, I used to like the fat boys and I'm pretty sure I had some teachers that thought I was a gang member just because that had a CD with like black people on it. I'm almost positive. You're right. <laughs> the fat boys. I had to look up when you were talking who owns Fago because you're like, they're not part of any sort of oh, thing. Yeah. And I was, I was like, yeah, let's Fago see. You have in your fridge, don't let's it? see who the hell owns Fago. But actually it looks like it's a small company in Detroit. Uh, yeah, it's just a cheap. It's a cheap pop. So like Fago, ICP throws it because they're from Detroit. So they that's like a famous drink out there, and they throw it on the audience and whatnot. But they get no money from Fago. Like Fago is not even connected with them. <laughs> they should be. They should be because they brought them so much business. But they there's no connection. I could say that I would probably never drink Fago if I hadn't heard of it through ICP. Uh, and, and if it's around, it's because I'm like, yeah, I want to feel like I'm in the 90s again. <laughs> Bro, I had so much fun when I was a kid. Me and my friends, we'd go buy like all these two liters of Fago and just throw them. <laughs> I even got uh, a Fago uh, from, I've been to the gathering. You know, like, I mean, I'm telling you, like, I was like how a deadhead is with it. So do, do you have some pictures with you in like the, the huge tube Jinkos and the chains and the face paint and everything? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had dreadlocks. I had baggy clothes. I, you know, I had all that. Yeah. I feel I like we're missing out, bro. I mean, you, you look clean <laughs> right now, dude, but I kind of want to see Juggalo Donut. <laughs> I had a hatchet. Well, I'm still like Juggalo Donut. That's why I, I think What's that... your Juggalo name? Oh, uh, Donut. <laughs> Is that where it did it come as a Juggalo name first? Yeah. Sort of. Oh, shit. Yeah, because I was doing music videos for... I done music videos for Twisted, who was part of Psychopathic. I did their lyric videos. I've done a lot of lyric videos um, with my editing. That's fucking That's sweet, dope, dude. You've got, you've got a badass uh, sort of origin story here, man. You've been holding yeah, well, yeah, my origin story, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was going to Tech 9 shows when there was like 40 people in the crowd. Dude, I fucking love Tech Nine. Yeah, yeah I've met Tech Nine too. I love Tech Nine. Then what year was it? This was like early, like late nineties, early two thousands. Then, right? Yeah, this was two thousands. This was during the Wicked Wonka tour. Like, <laughs> not bringing me on like a whole other topic. Yeah, the Wicked Wonka tour was Bone Thugs, Cottonmouth Kings. Uh, Tech Nine was the opener, and like after he performed. I went and got an autograph and like, there was like hardly anybody at the booth trying to get his autograph, but he's a, the dopest dude. Cause he was supposed to leave and he didn't leave just so he can sign my stuff. And then all these girls ran up to him after that. I, I got something controversial to, to say here, but uh, a, a lot of people throw the word genius around a lot. And like, like, a lot of people like to throw Kanye as genius, but dude, I would if I had to rate two different genius rappers, I would put Tech Nine a level above Kanye. Maybe not in terms of like financial success, or maybe he's just super smart and he's staying off grid. But Tech Nine strikes me as like one of the most versatile 
well thought uh sort of just you know intellects on the planet like that's it's in, and another one too which people don't uh consider as sticky fingers from uh onyx because he's got like the weird cock eye and people think he's just crazy but dude is is got a next level brain i think yeah i mean the, once you get into art and music um a lot of people get scared off by certain things like icp people don't want to listen to it because they associate it with like some juggalo stuff or because they're clowns but if i play the music and they don't know it is what they're listening to just depending like, on the song <laughs> yeah just like if you say yo who said this obama or trump and you read all the trump things and all the liberals are like oh that's obama for sure and like they love everything trump said you know it's sort of it's sort of the same thing and this riffraff bro like riffraff he comes off kind of like oh he's not rapping he's making but he's really talented he's be, be doing some mad dope shit um <laughs> man that's Dude, great shit we can we could do a whole freaking episode on icp riffraff and and right around the time that you were doing lyric videos for um tech nine you mentioned well uh, not I tech working... nine i never oh. did one for him but were, oh twisted you said yeah, I, right. I've done a video though that Tech Nine was in on a lyric video, but it wasn't like he hired me or anything. Still, it's man, you, you, you shared too. energy, right? Like some yeah. someone that's consuming that media is consuming your contribution to it as well. So that's that's pretty badass. Yeah, dude, that's dope. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> neat, man. Yeah. Uh, so. The first time you and me met, uh, Donut, we were on uh, we were on the Hush Hush thing, and I don't think that's been released yet. But it was about celebrity sacrifices, and that was was really fucking badass. And me and Thomas were talking about it. Thomas, you want to float that? Uh, you want to talk about the Britney Spears thing you were talking about? Yeah, dude. So uh, me and Donut have talked a few times, and and the topic of adrenochromes come up before, and I've it's been like my my main area of research for like the last year. And we and you were talking, Nate, and uh, this this theory that I got based on actual research is that the elites, they do believe that schizophrenia can make you live longer, um, you know, eternal youth, you're more resistant to cancer. There's all sorts of actual scientific research that does point to anyone that can develop schizophrenia and recover from it becomes greater in the long run. And you can pass that gene onto your heirs, and they also are more resistant. And there's theories that maybe a lot of people that got over the black plague um, and all these flus and maybe even current ones that it's because there's like this recessive schizophrenic gene that they're passing down. That's actually like this next form of kind of survival. But the, the theory here is that just like everyone knows uh, rich people do these blood transfusions, right? They'll hire some 20 year old athlete and do a blood transfusion for 40 minutes while they're sitting at home or in the office. And it gives them, you know, a more youthful appearance and everything because it just gets them the hormones of like uh, a young person. Well, there's also studies that say that schizophrenics tend to be more introverted they tend to um you know be deeper thinkers more creative mu musically not smarter and not better but just they have a, a separate different kind of a creative element to them and there's a possibility that in just like you're gonna have a, a athlete come over and give you blood transfusion you might want to wait and find some kind of creative genius a britney spears a kanye west or someone at the height of you know fame and their their peak 
and take their blood and then use that to give you that same exact kind of power. Just like I might inherit the youth of a 20 year old athlete. Well, I want to inherit the genius and the creativity of this borderline schizophrenic, um, you know, entertainer. And here we've got, you know, Britney Spears under conservatorship um, and maybe even under lock and key. And then you've got the Kanye West one put me over because who is he talking to is his personal trainer slash handler talking about, I'm going to lock you up. And as soon as Kanye decides he wants to break away from that, that's like, yo, like the best Coke dealer just shut shop. And now we got to go and find Coke somewhere else. And they're all scattered and they're freaking the hell out. And they're trying to get that, you know, that sweet, sweet Kanye Coke back, but it's, it's gone, you know, and now they're searching for that next big hit. And I think that that that's literally, you know, when they're talking about the Disney Channel stars and, you know, Illuminati running Hollywood and the music industry, when they say the next big hit, they're literally talking about bringing this person up to fame and then taking their blood and then using it for themselves. Interesting. Just like a vampire, you know, how it keeps the host alive to keep keep on drinking the blood. And imagine yeah. if, if you were like, yo, I'm a vampire, but I'm only going to suck the blood of like top 40 billboard artists. It's like eating know? organic yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the vampires. Like the, the top vampires are like, yo, no, all we do is the schizophrenic bloodlines of when they hit all time highs in the charts. That's all we drink. That's the pure stuff. And the other vampires are like, we'll just take whatever. I'm starting to come around though that I, I'm. It makes I'm a lot of sense. Actually, believe this. Like, yeah, I think just, you're like, right. A version of it. I think you're right. Like everything you just said, I agree with. I think that's a great. So I never heard the connection before with uh, the possibility of being uh, like uh, people that survived the plague yep. having this. So what I had heard, like back in the fucking day, I watched like a PBS documentary. And I guess there was this one town in England. It is according to PBS. So there's one town in England uh, that got the plague. And so uh, the rest of the surrounding villages were like, fuck this. And so they like boarded them off and kept them in there because they wanted to like keep the plague there. Right. They kind of like force quarantined them. And like three fourths of the people died. But the quarter that that lived had built an immunity to to the plague. And so later on, there was these folks that were like, uh, like in the eighties, uh, had this immunity uh, to AIDS, and like these guys, they could get the HIV virus and it, it could like get in them, but it couldn't like attack their cells. And they were trying to figure out what this was, and like, cause this one guy, it was like a pretty sad story. He like killed three of his boyfriends because like. He was giving people AIDS, but he couldn't. He was giving people HIV, but he couldn't like die from the virus. And they said that uh, they traced it back and they figured it out. It was it was all from those folks that lived from that uh, from that town. That's not. I've never heard that before. That's nice. Yeah, it's fucking wild. And so, like, whatever kind of like immunity they got, it changed something about their cellular structure, and they have like, yeah, they're immune to HIV. Well, that, that uh, theory that I mentioned is from the, uh, one of the original researchers of adrenochrome. His name is Abram Hoffer, and he started his research, I think, in the late 50s, early 60s. But that report where he talks about um, the bubonic plague, and he talks about a bunch of other stuff. He talks about um, they did studies on uh, long-term smokers and found out that 
people that tended to be schizophrenic or introverted had far less cases of malignant lung cancer versus their extroverted non-schizophrenic counterparts. Um, and then the whole litany of different examples of this. And it wasn't that you would develop an immunity to the bubonic plague over time. It's that the schizophrenic blood and the schizophrenic genes in your body is a result of your body being able to process more adrenaline than a normal person. A normal person would get a heart attack because their body, their, their heart tissue just can't deal with all the adrenaline. It becomes toxic and it rips itself apart essentially. But if you have a, a certain mechanism that can convert that adrenaline way faster, now all of a sudden you can be at that elevated height, have more you know blood going to the places that need it. So that helps you kind of overcome these sicknesses. And that is a direct correlation with being schizophrenic because your body um, processing extreme amounts of adrenaline creates adrenochrome and adrenalutin. And those two substances have very similar chemical structures and effects to things like mescaline, psilocybin. They affect the body in very similar ways. So there's this very interesting correlation between being crazy and being immune to things or, and this might also lead into why they took psychedelics away um, at the end of the sixties. Yeah. I think like 67 through 69 was kind of like, all right, we're pulling the plug. Nixon's like, yeah, these, these uh, silly guys in the Bohemian Grove and the pot smoking LSD guys, uh, that's all gone now. Uh, but I, but I think that there might be something to this where maybe that is, uh, the fountain of youth, or maybe that is some kind of secret, you know, catch all uh, solution to get over things. And you wouldn't want everyone to live forever, right? You wouldn't want everyone to be in on that. That's fascinating as hell, dude. I, I think about it too. Sometimes like I think about what the fuck is schizophrenia, dude. And I feel bad for folks that are, you know, nuts in that way. I have like a soft spot in my heart because I've, I've known quite a few. And, uh, but like, to me, I don't even necessarily think that the things that they're seeing aren't there like i straight up think that they're just like extra sensitive i think that they're like perceiving shit that might be around i mean some of the shit probably not there but like some of the like <laughs> extreme paranoia and stuff you know but like but you probably get paranoid as fuck because you're seeing all this shit around you and you're like holy fuck are you in on this or you like you know as the great charles manson said total paranoia is total consciousness it's fucking fascinating man yeah that's a weird ass quote that's a fucking crazy quote uh but man like i so like let's say you're closer to source let's say you're closer to those things around us like maybe that's why they fucking live longer they're healthier they're like they have something in them they're like they're partially in that other dimension maybe you know? but it but it also know. would be not a great long life to live right like you'd probably rather have a short but quote-unquote normal life versus like living to be a 90 year old schizophrenic because also maybe when... but think about this though because like back in the goddamn day the crazy people were like the wisdoms they were like the witch doctors they were like the you know what i mean they were like renowned people would like go to them for advice and for like like it wasn't such a bad thing now it sucks now you're oh that guy's fucking crazy he's talking to himself but like back in the day you'd be like the wise you'd be like he's connected to the spirits he's the spiritual one you know it might not have been so bad back in the day you're not wrong but also if you're schizophrenic you might not be able to appreciate all of that because because also there's a delineation because when you say schizophrenic you're usually referring to someone that develops those kind of symptoms at a very early age like pre-30s you know like between yeah. 20 and 35 because once you develop schizophrenia at an older age they tend to call it dementia or 
Um, in some cases, like Alzheimer's, they, it used to just be one big package. They would just label it schizophrenia if it was like a hundred different things. Um, but it, but again, it's it's kind of seen as like this this horrible lifelong torture. Maybe at least in modern day, maybe in old times they would shower you in like cool stuff, but you might not realize how cool it was because you're still worried about you know the goat headed demon behind you that's always trying to kill you. So you're telling me that that I'm seeing that go ahead demons probably actually there. I feel like I see like little shadow people sometimes. They're not just little. Don't talk about this, or they're going to put you on tap. (laughs) They're going to start drinking. Well, I I I live in a very old apartment that was around since the Rat Pack days, right? Like, and it used to be a hotel. So I mean, this is old. So there's got to be like prostitutes murdered here or something you know what i mean and i swear i some i've seen i don't even like talking about because i get goosebumps but i've seen and felt ghosts in this apartment complex you know is that considered schizophrenic (laughs) well i I, I don't say so but i'm open-minded so i don't think so i was with this girl and i don't know her it was the first date, brought her back to my place where she brought over chocolate. And we go and in Fago. the other room. She she brought over some Fago. And <laughs> we go in the other room and we hear the chocolate crunk, like doing what, like moving. And we both freaked out. And I was like, what the fuck? Who's up in here? You know, you know how you get and go up and go, what's up? Who's up in there? You know? And then it got really cold. And it was summertime, Arizona. I'm getting shivers when I talk. I don't like talking about the story, but we got really cold. Shivers. Like, it was to the point where we're like, we got to go outside. It's freezing in here. And it's Arizona. It's hot out. It wasn't cold in my apartment, but, like, it was, like, weird like that. And then, and she doesn't know me. I don't know her. She doesn't know what I do or, or whatever. And... I really do believe it was a ghost. And then we Googled like, do ghosts like chocolate? And that's what <laughs> they like. They like chocolate. No shit. Yeah. That's wild. It was weird. So I told them ghosts, they got to get the F out of my place. Bring your yeah. own chocolate ghosts. Yeah, Donna, said, I'm going to start uh, doing some interviews pretty soon for uh, our, we're going to do a paranormal like ghost documentary. I would love for you to have that story on our documentary. If you're cool with that. Yeah, for well, sure. Oh, yeah, man. let me type. I yeah. love to. I'll bring yeah. you back, and we'll yeah, we'll do it because that's fucking cool shit. I had no idea that ghosts like chocolate. I'm blowing my mind. <laughs> Are you familiar with? Uh, have either of you guys heard of psychometry before? I've heard it. Tell me, what is it? So, like psychometry, the the best analogy that I've I've come across is the way that they used to cut an old record on an old acetone, where they would have like the big horn, and as they play music into it, the little needle etches, you know, the sound on this this piece of acetone, and then you can play it back, and that's the record essentially. Well, psychometry basically says that uh, large traumatic moments, emotions, events they kind of get recorded around you. So if I if I get into a huge fight, right? If there's a murder in this room right now, then that emotional energy is affecting the actual atoms in all of the different things in this room, the walls, the paint, you know, the electronics, so that if there is a murder that occurs, this glass kind of keeps a record of it, just like there was a little needle, right? you know, like this was acetone recording the whole thing. 
so that ghosts might be there might be like a scientific explanation where a ghost is just kind of like playing a record back of something that happened that just happened to get recorded because it was so loud and so impactful that yes. you can't help but hear that thing being repeated. Because I get I get goosebumps right now. Whenever I talk about that story or ghost, I get the goosebumps. Like, what's up with that? Are you off chocolate now? I haven't had chocolate in like two weeks. You can't keep it in the apartment. You have to eat it outside. <laughs> I have like a sugar addiction. So once I start yeah. going, I haven't had sugar in like two weeks. Right, chocolate? That's good. Yeah. That's good you know that about yourself. Yeah. what's crazy if, if you go two weeks and not and actually not eat any refined sugars at all which basically means no white foods no bread no pasta like none of that but then you just have like a piece of bread it tastes like sponge cake you know yeah it's weird as fuck dude i was keto for a couple years and then like when i stopped yeah anything like it tasted like fucking like maple syrup yeah. <laughs> it's kind of gross actually it took me a long time to get used to like eating candy again or something like i wonder if there's any ghost hunters out there that actually use chocolate to kind of like lure the ghosts in so it seems so. like it would be a smart idea but that thing with the record thing is so interesting because that happens to our bodies uh emotionally uh so if you go through an emotion and you don't feel it fully, it gets stored into the uh, armor, muscular tension. That's fucking fascinating, man. That's some wild shit. That's why like a massage therapist, if they're massaging some patients, uh, they'll hit uh, a spot where they'll just start crying. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. right. I've heard yeah. that before. Yeah, you store trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes sense that i mean we're the same like we're just the atoms as well just like everything else so no, why, no, i like how your brain works man you make all these fucking connections i wouldn't have thought about that yeah shout out to cesarean and jordan yeah. maxwell <laughs> <laughs> no i don't need anyone to massage me to start crying i can just do that shit on command i that's what i enjoy bro i enjoy putting on a movie having a good cry at the end What's, like the, what's the last movie that made you cry, Donut? Every movie makes me cry. Every I have movie? not watched. Yeah, I haven't watched any movie that hasn't made me cry. Have you seen the Cats remake? No. <laughs> no, I, I watch a comedy movie. It doesn't matter what it is. I, I'll cry at the end. What about you, Nate? Have you have you cried in any movies lately? Dude, I'm such a fucking broken human being. I went like 15 plus years without crying. The last time I <laughs> cried, I think, was at my wedding. And like my son called me a faggot because he had never <laughs> seen me cry before. He's like, faggot. <laughs> well, yeah, so that, I only do it when I'm alone, when no one's around. <laughs> like, I live alone, so. No I started alone. tearing up when I was giving my vows, you know, because I wrote them and I was talking to the wife and yeah, I was up in front of everybody. I teared up <laughs> and then my son called me a thing. And then you started crying out of pride. <laughs> I, uh, I think I, well, I watched the Bill Hicks documentary and I think that one made me cry. Cause uh, I remember there was a certain point where I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. He's dead now. And then uh, sometimes I just feel sad that like a person isn't around to keep like helping out the rest of us out. Right. Like Jordan Maxwell. I didn't, I didn't cry when he died, but I'm sure if there's a documentary about him and they start playing the sad music, and then talk about it, that'll probably bring a tear to my eye, too. Yeah, it's... Donut, it's, are you there? 
Yes. Yeah, okay. I can't see him. I I think my my internet is shitty or something. Okay. He's killing it, bro. He's still here. He's killing it. <laughs> Good. What was the movie that made you cry? Having trouble. I watch any movie. Every movie makes me cry. Yeah. Even comedy shows. I'm a big fan of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I love that show, dude. It's so good. Have you seen the one where he does his ballet performance? Is that a newer one? I, I haven't seen him probably it's, like the last yeah. five years I've missed him. Like It's a pretty newer one, but it's a yeah. fan. I mean, it's a beautiful episode. I Every time I put it on, I cry because he's telling his dad. <laughs> That like the criminal dad that he has that doesn't blink his eyes. He's always like looking at him. Is it Frank? Who who's doing the ballet? Well, Frank is the reason why it makes made me cry. So it's just beautifully how it's made. So Mac, he does a ballet performance. Oh, and it's quality. Like he works so hard on this ballet performance, and it's with this girl, and all these prisoners are watching it. And he's trying to communicate to his dad that he's gay and everyone loves it, but the dad doesn't and walks out. And then it cuts to Frank, who's sort of like his father figure in a toxic way. And he's like, I understand. I don't know. He's crying. I don't know, bro. Like, I lose my shit. Every time I watch that episode. I think the last season I watched was the season Mac got fat just for the show. For the That's season. one of the best seasons. Yeah. Yeah. It was fucking fantastic. It's like, man, that's commitment. He literally put on like 40 pounds just for that one season. He's he doing mass. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was fake, but he really did do that. I think so. I'm pretty sure that. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, he got better. he got super jacked after that. He was, yeah, yeah really jacked. He's like, I'm getting mass. <laughs> he was like, knock me over, bro. Knock me over, bro. <laughs> I yeah. think that that heals um, sickness, laughter. So I try to feel the laughter as much as I can too when I watch something. Hell yeah. It, that's incredibly healthy, dude. You're probably a lot more emotionally healthy than me, Donut. I, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I've been like <laughs> I've been working on my emotional uh intelligence or whatever you call it for uh a long time because I was like uh, an addiction for most of my life. So I blocked all my emotions out. So when I got sober, I felt all of my emotions to the fullest extent and uh, would scream and throw shit and break shit. And I got all my anger out. Um, I started when I first got sober, I had two years sober and I was angry and I just started screaming and breaking stuff anytime I was angry and feeling my that emotion because that was mostly my emotion was the anger that I suppressed by drugs and alcohol. Yeah, and I would anytime I felt had any anger, and you can't really do this if you have like kids or whatever. You know what I mean? Or uh, so I didn't have any. I don't. I don't have any kids or anything like that. So. I would scream and break stuff anytime I got mad. And like a month went by and I was like, I'm not doing it as much. And I did that for so long that um, when the feelings come up, I try to feel them immediately. But I'm not that healthy. I got a lot of work to do. <laughs> but I'm, Have you gone to a rage room before? Yeah, that shit was tight. 
Yeah, that's, I, I haven't been to one. I'm afraid I'm gonna like hurt myself because you got to sign a waiver, and I feel like I would just go over the top. But I no, think there was like, a few in Vegas. When you do go to it, don't get a flat screen TV because that's gonna be the first thing you're gonna want to smash. Yeah, not fun at all. The fun thing to smash are the bottles and the glass because you smash them <laughs> and they break. And, they, and it, it is so fun because you get to put on music on your phone, like you could hook your iPod or whatever up to it. I was dating this girl and she put Mighty Cyrus like wrecking ball. <laughs> Dude, I had a blast, bro. Smash is this a good is this a good first date activity to go to a rec room? No, no, I don't no. think maybe, maybe, I don't know. Test it out, just wear crazy you know, goggles when you're smashing the glass and stuff. Yeah, you wear the goggles. Yeah. It's yeah. safe. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. That's cool as shit, man. Yeah, dude. Like people think that like just curing your fucking addiction, like like getting clean, is gonna fix shit. But it's like that don't make it worse. Addiction. Yeah, you had an addiction, you, right? And you it, like it's because you were like there, there's a reason why you had that fucking addiction. Right? Exactly. So you yeah. there's so much you have to fucking deal with afterward, and so it's tough as fuck, dude. Because you're like getting off of this, and you still want it, maybe, and then you're like. Now you have to deal with all these fucking emotions and all this shit, all this fucking baggage. And yeah, it's wild shit, man. Yeah, that's, I'm gonna, I'd be scared when I quit nicotine because that's not going to be fun. Well, dude, fucking hey, man, that's badass. I'm it's fucking, not so hard. I've quit like yeah. 20 times, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I chew nicotine gum. Yeah, I fucking... I'm a fag, so I'll vape sometimes, but <laughs> I mean no, nicotine vape. was one of the OG psychedelics. It's it's so universal now that it doesn't get the same credit that it uh used to, but um hycosamine is one of the active ingredients in tobacco, and hycosamine was one of like the original psychedelics that they were doing tests on before um like mescaline was too much to handle because you can't really control it and it lasts for like 20 hours plus how do you um, spell hycosamine uh h-y-a-h-y-c-a-m-i-n-e i think um oh but, yeah so so hycosamine and, and it's in a very small amount but there's so many different types of tobacco and different, just like you've got all these different marijuana strains and originally tobacco was, I mean, a very sacred herb. And then it just turned into this commercialized, like, Hey, the, these native Americans got this dope stuff man. check this out. And then it becomes ubiquitous and it loses that same sacred connection. And now, now you think of cigarettes, you just think of like some smelly dude, you know, smoking two packs outside of a gas station, but really like that's that I mean, same kind of sacred herb that anything else would have been. Thomas, was tobacco a new world thing? Was it not in uh, the old world at all? Well, I mean, there's been traces of it. So they they had tobacco snuff, and they all they've found like traces of DMT too and cannabis in the old world. Yeah. I think, and they found like uh, William Shakespeare's like old little stash box, and there was you know a little bit of coke, a little bit of tobacco, a little bit of snuff, um, a little Dude, bit of where DMT. Did he get coke? That just proves, you know, I mean, there it's it's funny, man, because like someone was telling me too that like. On one of these old ass uh, like paintings inside one of these old ass uh, cathedrals, there's paintings of corn and corn. Oh, you're talking about Rosalind Chapel. I could be. Yeah, I I'm not good at remembering names, but that that like fucking proves 
that the old world, the new and new world, there was connections that like there had to have been. I don't doubt that it's heavily yeah. contested, but I don't doubt that for a second. And yeah. Rene Descartes, um, he also attributed having this magical snuff that was not just tobacco. There was some other unnamed herb that I'm personally, I'm convinced it was DMT, but uh, I mean, again, like you can, from my perspective, you can trace almost every major human advancement to some kind of psychedelic use, the double stranded helix uh, discovery, um, so, you know, Rene Descartes Cartesian coordinate system, almost everything. I'm curious. I want to, I want to hear both your guys' take on this. So like, because I'm a big psychedelic fan. I, I always have been. I fucking I love mushrooms. Uh, but I'm curious to hear what you guys think, why they are bringing it about now and kind of like pushing it and kind of accepting it in the mainstream. Do you think that there's some psyopy shit to that? Because like it seems like they're really pushing like buy mushrooms, do mushrooms, smoke all this weed, do a bunch of fucking dabs. And it seems like they've stolen whatever sacred and special about it. And. I, I don't know. What do you guys think? Why are they fucking, why are they, why are they accepting it back now? You know, like you said in the seventies or eighties, they pulled the carpet out and they took it away and it feels like they're giving it back to us. Is there a reason? I think so. Yeah. Um, I think that they control it now, right? They, they, they yeah. got their, who knows what kind of money thing, or do you think it's like they can control your, I almost feel like they can, can, if you don't, if you're not really aware, I feel like when you're in those type of situations, like when you are high on mushrooms, if you're not very aware of your energy and energy around you, like, so most teenagers that are going to have a bad time, okay? you're going to have a bad time, but like, maybe they can also like fuck with you when you're in that state. Right. You know I mean? Yeah. I, I, they're definitely pushing it for a reason. Um, I, I got nothing against any drugs or anything like that uh used in like i like i there's nothing i don't i ain't like i think everything should be legal i think every you know but the the the, them pushing it there's definitely a reason why that's a great question and it's a question i keep asking myself too and there's a lot of different theories people point to like are is the weed gmo it's different now um like what what kind of weird shit is in that um dude they're also like highly crazy concentrating it too and they're like smoke shatter right like smoke well it's weird because they grow my theory this is my theory now is that they grow weed under a purple light right you got all these purple lights popping up everywhere because the purple light is a remote control like a remote is the infrared light so you hit the infrared light and it controls the tv it's the exact same thing with a purple light hitting the plant and making it grow better. So I'm like, what if all these street lights turn to purple lights because they need to grow shit and they know an event will happen where like they everyone will be like need to grow shit or something? Um, I don't know. Like, what do you what do you guys think? <laughs> I've got a I've got a boring answer and I've got a less boring one. The boring one is money, uh, for the same reason as ever. Kind of like you said. Um, that if they're going to see like, oh, well, if people can just grow it at home or if they can grow mushrooms in a, in a Rubbermaid uh, case by, you know, drilling out some air holes and ordering some microscopy kits online and then a spore bag, but I've said too much. But if you can do that by yourself for 30 bucks, right, why wouldn't some big tech pharma company come in and charge you 
10 times that so that you can legally do it. Just like they've got these ketamine um, therapy lessons, right? Where you go and you pay some idiot like $200 for like the weakest shot of ketamine you can imagine. And then they just sell it under the guise of therapy. So that, so one of it is just control and money. But the other one, man, is that again, if, if the elites really do believe that schizophrenics could be the answer and the cure, what else would be great than just pushing psychedelics on people that are looking for mental help because either it, it helps them right and then they get money and they get all this extra credit or it pushes them over the brink and now they've got you know prime wagyu sort of schizophrenic beef in front of them uh, dude, and, knew, and you just keep extrapolating that dude i had several friends that had a mental break on psychedelics like it's not for everybody dude like there are people that are like born closer to the edge you know and i think like you said them bringing this weed around it's it's not like grandpa's weed that they smoked in the 70s this fucking shit is insane like you can buy fucking flour that's like 60 percent thc it's fucking wild dude also like the idea of uh you're bringing up project blue beam right if they bring in some sort of magical hologram of different gods or something like that if everyone's tripping on shrooms they'd believe it even more so <laughs> yeah dude you're more susceptible to the to these type of like narratives and stories and energies and even vibrations maybe that they're doing through the 5g's or whatever like i i don't i don't really know but but you don't even have to be on it currently right even if you did it one time in college 20 years ago and then they institute blue beam and it's like oh yeah maybe this is god because you've had that extra little neuro you know plasticity mm. that kind of like opens your mind to these kind of things and, and i also want to notice that yeah. uh that that just like mk ultra right this kind of starts with uh testing psychedelics on the population without them knowing it then the population starts doing it for themselves then they pull the rug out well now in modern day we're basically mk ultraing ourselves right we're we're continuing the tests that they started but now instead of them having to pay universities to have people sign up and take drugs now like we go and we just spend our own money and we do the drugs ourselves and report all the effects and we sign on to leafly and here's all the different strain effects and i'm sure the cia is sitting back like i can't believe we used to pay to do this you know these idiots are are paying to do the research for us why didn't we start this yeah and also like being in addiction and studying it as well is that what you're seeking when you are an addict and you're seeking the next hit of heroin or bottle of whiskey or whatever it is um you're seeking a spiritual experience deep down so you're searching for god and uh part of getting sober which has been effective through carl young he says the only way to get sober is through having a psyche change psychic change which is a soul change that it's something that happens to your soul through a spiritual experience and this is why they we're kind of like, yo, maybe we got to you do some of these mushrooms or whatever. You could, you could have a spiritual experience. I did. I took mushrooms one time, um, like 20 years ago, and I never touched any pharmacy. I haven't touched any pharmaceutical uh, drug for over 20 years, uh, but I still drank and smoke weed. <laughs> 
but, but besides that fact, it did have a spiritual effect on me. I don't know where I was going with that. No, dude, I think, I think you were totally onto something. Uh, and now I forgot where I was going with it too. <laughs> well, yeah, that, no, that, that spiritual connection is i mean the the yes, scientific explanation is, is actually just uh forcing your brain to now make new connections that it wouldn't have made before uh because like as the little neurons are trying to find the next connection instead of just talking to the one they're closest to your entire body is like so excited and filled with all these different drugs that now instead of the the connection just talking to its neighbor it shoots out and it talks to the entire freaking neighborhood and that's where people get the synesthesia and they talk about you know um seeing uh, smells and like smelling colors and things it's because those those uh, synapses are actually triggering way more than the normal ones but that experience itself an interesting topic here is that people get so fascinated with like the hallucinations and the inebriation and and like that that like great feeling right but that might just be like the, the side effect that you're going through and the thing that's actually causing the change that changes your mentality and that gets some people over addiction has absolutely nothing to do with that subjective sort of like euphoric experience it's talking about the actual physical neural connections that are now being made in your brain that weren't there before and people tended to give all the credit to like i saw the face of god and i heard music and you know i, I saw these things that i didn't know existed and that was such a revelation that it's changed my mind but really that part is masking the the biological change that's kind of happening behind it yeah it's interesting i i don't i just close my eyes and I'll just have a trip. I'll be tripping like, you know, our, uh, it cheap. <laughs> it's yeah. cheaper and just being aware of stuff like, uh, what, what's going on? Like, like, why did this happen? If this didn't happen, why did this happen? Just like little signs in that book, the alchemist talks about the signs that you're shown and like following them. Although that dude is like connected to Aleister Crowley, which I think is kind of interesting. I never knew that. But um, and, and on that topic, Crowley got his start with mescaline as well, because when he first joined the Golden Dawn, his mentor was hooking him up with mescaline and and Crowley was doing it from almost day one as he got into his magical studies. But he didn't actually write about it, I think, for like seven years afterwards. And even then he didn't mention it by name. He called it like. Uh, William's eye or something which was kind of like an old school term for what they used to call peyote uh, but but peyote and mescaline and the psychedelic experience was at the very heart of his original magical upbringing yeah I always wanted to do peyote because of Beavis and Butthead they be tripping out. <laughs> you know what's fascinating man too is something you were saying you you close your eyes and you can trip like uh, because to me I I really think that psychedelics sort of kind of like a shortcut. And I, I also feel like it's kind of an unnecessary one. It kind of like forces you into uh, those worlds. Cause like if you, there was some fucking, uh, I don't know, some Indian guru and they asked him if he took drugs and he was like, I am drugs. Right. So anytime you take those drugs, what it like, what it does is it, it, it's not, it's like making your brain release these chemicals that already exist in your brain. Right. And you're feeling these, like these chemicals, but like, I, I feel like if you knew how 
And if you studied hard enough and you meditated enough, I think you could probably just make yourself trip when you wanted to. Yeah, I'd be tripping, bro. Like, I I think it's <laughs> mind, mind, body, spirit, right? And the mind thing, that's what like my – what I do every day is I try to learn something new. When I find something new, like, oh, that's a new symbol or, oh, that's a crazy connection, right? I feel alive. Like, I feel like something – Something about learning something new, like sparks some sort of passion. So there's the mind and then the body, like, I guess I could do better with that, but, uh, I go on a walk every day, like long walks that makes me feel good. And then the spirit, and that would, I guess, be closing my eyes, praying or something, or being aware of, uh, like God or something like just trying to be being more aware. If you start seeking for stuff, you'll find it. Do yeah. uh do, do either of you guys ever do reality checks? What's that? Do, uh, are you into lucid dreaming at all? What's that? I heard one talk about imagining a blue dick fucking the base of your skull. <laughs> well, no, that's 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 a little <laughs> extreme. I don't think that would count as a reality check. So like, so lucid dreaming is essentially when you go to sleep, but you can control your dream and not wake up from it. So you, you stay in a dream state, but maintain control. And even more important that you can wake up and recall a lot more of the details um, with like vivid imagery. But I one can't, of the, I do lucid dream sometimes. So, so one of the things, so, so man, this is shout out to lucidcenter.org. Um, they, I did like a training session with them and they unlocked a whole bunch of cool techniques, but one of the most important ones is called the reality check. So an example, right? I've got this glass in front of me. So what you want to do is like, I'm assuming that I'm awake right now and I'm not sleeping. I'm not in a dream state and you guys are real. And part of the, that reason is because this glass in front of me, if I reach out and I try to grab it, right, what I'm going to think is when I go to touch this glass, my hand is going to go right through it. Like I'm going to see it just go like I'm like I'm, you know, um, Sam Beckett or, or uh, Ziggy uh, going through Quantum Leap and I just put my hand right through it. And when I go to try and do that and my hand doesn't go through it, this is kind of my my uh, token, right? This is like my my concept that I am in reality. But what you do is you train yourself like every couple hours and they like one part of the training was that you set a little alarm on your phone that goes off. First, you do it every two hours, then you get it down to like every 15 minutes and you just train yourself to constantly do reality checks. Um, and what and the reason that you do this is it, it seems stupid, right? Because you're awake all day and you're like, yeah, of course, my hand's not going to go through this. But as you train yourself to get in that pattern at a certain point, you're going to be in a dream. And you're going to go and do the reality check and your hand will go through the glass. And then you're going to realize, oh, I'm actually in a dream state right now and I've identified it. And if you can suppress that natural feeling to wake up and stay in that dream state, then you have a lot more control over your lucid dreams. Um, and, it, and it just and it has to start with doing these stupid little reality checks. And the same thing, too. You can do it without physical. You can say, uh, like, I'm looking at Donut right now and he's petting his cat. And if I close my eyes and I imagine that that cat turns into a dog, and I open him up again, and it's still a cat, okay, he passed the reality check. He's not a figment of my my imagination. But if I can turn that into a dog, well, now I know that I'm in a dream state. So incorporating these little weird reality checks, but it reminds me a little bit of like intentionally hallucinating, right? Because you're like, all right, I'm going to hallucinate myself putting my hand through this glass, and then it doesn't happen. But the second that it does happen... It's hard to tell. What's the difference between a vivid, lucid dream 
and an intense hallucination that you've got control over. I've yeah. done that like without knowing about that. And I do it with the sun. So I'm sleeping, right? It's nighttime if you're sleeping and if, uh, or it's daytime, but I've done that with what time is it? You know, like I look and see my dream. I'm like, yo, it's nighttime or morning. Right. So I've noticed I've been in a dream because I knew it was nighttime, but it was during the day. Like I was like, I, I had to wake up and go somewhere. So in my dream, I'm like, I got to be somewhere. It's daytime, but I'm like, it's nighttime. Like I knew that. And so instead of the drink, I was doing it with the sun unintentionally, but that's how I know if I'm sleeping is what time of day is it? That's dope. Cause a lot of people, they, they do, they find their own ways to get into that state and just never realize like what that actual mechanism is. Uh, so having like actually having intent behind it, um, it gives you so much extra control and I'm horrible at it. Like I still can't do a lot of lucid dreaming, but that that's been one of the, the biggest ones. And the other one is the second you wake up, just immediately start going through all the possible things you usually dream about. So you think like, was I in a house? Was it nighttime? Did I get into a fight? Did someone cry? Just go through like the most extreme emotions. And if you latch onto one, you're like, oh, I think I did get into a, a fight. I think I might've been screaming at someone. If you can just conjure up just the smallest little details, get yourself in the habit that the second you open your eyes in bed, before you get out of bed, before you like check your phone or anything, just immediately think like, what emotions was I just feeling? And as you can start doing that more and more, all of a sudden you can recall like the entire yeah, I do that every morning. Point. Yeah. Every morning. That's what I do. I wake up and I walk to the couch. I lay on the couch and I just think about all the dreams. So I remember them. So, dude, you, you've got the emotion intelligence of a freaking genius, dude. You're, you're underselling yourself here. Yeah. I know, but I've been doing that for a while. I think dreams, there's something up with it. I used to have this dream and I'd wake up and I'd be punching my pillow. And it freaked me out because I had a girlfriend at the time and I was always scared. I, was gonna, <laughs> I freaked her out too. <laughs> I, I'd wake up and I'd like start punching the pillow. And uh, one day... And this dream haunted me for years. And then I killed the guy in the dream. And I've never had a punching dream after that. I mean, what does that tell you, man? Like, do you go to a real place? Now, it's not real, like, in a physical way. But I, I don't know, dude. I, I, I get all goofy about that kind of shit. And Was there I, an entity there I, that you killed and he was what? gone? I wanted to, because I kept getting attacked in my dream and I wake up punching the pillow and I was like, only if I can get the person or whatever. But I always wake up like right when I'm trying to get them, I wake up and, um, and then I got them one time in a dream. And then the rest of the dream, I was freaked out because I'm like, I'm going to jail now. No, <laughs> and it was, it was a terrible dream. It was just as bad as the other dream, but I haven't had those dreams pop up since then. So I feel like I like beat a boss in a level or something. How <laughs> fucked would that be that every time you'd go to sleep, you wake up in jail because you <laughs> fucking murdered someone in your dream. Have, have either of you ever been in jail before? Yes. Yeah, several times. So the, the, the dreams that you have in jail are like the most vivid, craziest dreams ever. Um, Why? And 
Uh, I think it's just because you've got so much more solitude and, and so much time. Like when you're in jail, all you have is time to reflect on like how stupid you are and like the dumb things that you've done. And, you know, just like like how far behind you are because you're just sitting in a room pretty much all the day. And See, I think I too, say that, but like I've never been there longer than a night. They'd throw okay, me well, okay. so maybe, like that. So. I was, I never, never served like. Well, so I got you both, both so. of you guys beat yeah. a little bit. But but part of it, too, is that you're locked up. So when you go to sleep, that is the only time you're allowed to leave jail. Like the only time. Right. So like the dreams start becoming just doing the most like swimming with whales and shit and like flying in outer space and just having like crazy and then you wake up and then the, that realization of like oh yeah i'm in not just in reality but i'm in jail wow this really yeah. sucks and i gotta say now though when i have a dream that i go to jail um and i wake up it is the best feeling to wake up and yeah. be like oh i'm not in jail oh that's what the same thing that happens feeling. to me with like oh my god i drank right in my dream and i'm like drinking in my dream and then i wake up and i'm like oh my god i didn't drink it's weird it's like the opposite like when you have a dream where like you win the lottery or something and you wake up and you're like oh yeah that's right damn mortgages do <laughs> yeah that's wild fucking a guys well we're a little bit past two hours I get to go fucking make something for dinner and figure shit yeah, out. We can keep rolling, bro. I don't want to get you in trouble. <laughs> uh, I appreciate both of you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, don't throw your plugs again, brother. Where pe where can people find you? You can find me at doe-nut.com. Donut, yeah. but like doe. Yeah. Paranoid. That's Thomas. me, man. You can check me at paranoidamerican.com. I don't have a podcast. Uh, yet but i've been uh co-hosting reality stars for a while so just keep coming back to reality stars and uh, we'll talk about more fun stuff and uh well i got a bunch of new comics and projects coming out this year so just go to paranoidamerican.com and see all the cool stuff fuck yes and i guess people be on the lookout we're going to be doing our paranormal paranormal uh documentary here pretty soon and you can you can find our our uh bigfoot documentary that i did this summer with my partner ben so shout out to ben uh you can find it on rockfin hell yeah and yeah thank you guys you guys are fucking awesome yeah, pleasure as always man thank you for your time donut man it's, it's always awesome talking to you yes thank both of you thank you so much